This episode is brought to you by Mike Up Podcast Productions. Are you an entrepreneur or business owner or somebody that's wanted to start a podcast for a while, but you don't know where to start? You're busy. Your team's busy. It seems overwhelming. Well, we got you covered. Or perhaps you may have a podcast. You've started it. You underestimated the amount of work. And look, you don't want to deal with all the BS. We got you covered as well. So we either help you launch a show or take over your current show and help you really get your message to more people, help you amplify your brand, help you amplify your message. Most importantly, help you cultivate and build amazing relationships. So we do all that through podcasting. We do complete end-to-end podcast production service audio, video, all of it, so that you have a highly produced episode and you don't have to worry about it. Let people that know what they're doing take care of things that you don't want to deal with. And let me, like I know, your team's busy. People people have a lot to do. And the last thing you need is another project. So if you're interested, you want to start a podcast, we have a few spots that are opening up. Hit me up, DM on Instagram, Follow me on lance.ecos, reply with in my DMs podcast, and then we can set up a time with my team and we can have a chat, qualify you and find out your goals and see if we're a good fit. Simple as that. All right. Mike up podcast productions. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. We got such a great show for you today. We have my friend, Daryl Stinson, joining us today. And this guy is so inspiring. And not only has his story just been such an impact in so many people's lives, but he continues to just help other people get their story out into the world and so that they can inspire people. He's got such amazing energy, and I'm just so grateful to have him on the show today. So a little bit about Daryl. His ultimate goal in life is to be known for how he loves and how he gives. He is a dynamic two times TEDx speaker, a former D1 athlete, and the best selling author of Who Am I After Sports. He shares his life experience of overcoming addiction, childhood rejection, mental illnesses, bad street life decisions and multiple suicide attempts to produce success in his life. He's been featured on Fox, ABC, NCAA, and some of the top podcasts in the world. Daryl's unique speaking style combines mental health practices with high-performance habits to help audiences lead from their most authentic, powerful selves. You guys are going to love this conversation. We covered a lot. We covered mental health, mental health and sports, how to get your energy to the right levels. Talk about the power of sharing your story, what that means. This is jam packed. And I highly recommend you guys follow Daryl. All his information is going to be in the show notes and we'll have a link as well to his, his Ted talks and anything else that we have from this episode that will be useful. So enjoy the episode. Daryl Stinson coming right up. There's the man right there. My man. How you doing? I'm ready, bro. Man, how do you get all jacked up before you, when you got to reset your energy? We're going right now. We're recording. Man, you know, I, it depends on what I need to set it for. Yeah. So in this instance, I was thinking about the podcast. I was thinking about you. I was thinking about the listeners and I'm like, man, what's the energy? What's the vibes that I want to send out there to the world? And I started to think about things people go through, things people desire and tap into that 
feeling. Mm. And then whatever I felt is what I intensify. I know this is good. <laughs> this yeah. is good. This is good. So whatever I, I felt, I, I intensified. So I don't just go like, okay, I know people are feeling excited about the new year. I know people are feeling uncertain about what their next move should be. Mm. I know some people haven't yet chosen to face some of the stuff that they went through during the pandemic or some of their fears about what's going on in our world. And however I feel in my body is what I intensify. So I could just say, you know, all right, filled it. I'm ready. Let's go. But no, I double down. So now I'm thinking what song carries this vibration? What affirmations carry this energy? What entertainment, what media, like what, what in my awareness do I have to intensify this? And then I, I do that. So for, for this one, I don't know. I was in like a, kind of like a, a deep, like productive, like how do we manifest what we desire? Like this year type of mood, like for people who have like a 10 year vision, they want to do it this year, not cause they're in a rush. Just because they're like, if I'm going to climb out of my despair, out of my discomfort and put my energy towards something and rise to the potential that everyone else says that I have, why don't I do it all out? And if I did it all out starting today, right now, because it's my decision and I decided right now today, I'm going to do the thing that I know I want to do. That's the energy that I'm stepping into for this call. And so I started listening to Love All by Drake featuring Big Sean and Jason. <laughs> and then I, I started like, I switched my outfit like twice. I ironed my clothes three times. Why? I'm just looking for a feeling. I'm not trying to impress. I'm trying to, in fact, I'm trying to be authentically aligned with exactly what I desire to accomplish on this podcast. Dude, it's so powerful. And I'm so glad that we started there because... That's all we are is energy, right? And being aware of your energy and what it takes to get to that level that you know you can be at is so important. It's not just accidental, right? Like you are, you are, you are talking about you've fine-tuned your instrument to the point where you know the feeling you want to get and how to get there. How did you learn how to do that? Like walk us through a little bit around, first of all, how you developed that awareness for yourself. Because, you know, we'll talk about, you know, your, your speaking and your story and all of that. But like, how did you develop that awareness to be able to know how to get yourself to a place and to be able to fine tune yourself when you need to? Pure survival, pure survival, having to and, and wanting to so badly that I was unwilling to give up till I found an answer. The first, the, the first thing that comes to mind that I can remember, this happened multiple times throughout my life. So I grew up in a bad place and, you know, had a limited mindset, didn't have any understanding of self or growth or nobody that I knew of had it as well. But, but, I, but when I was in college, and I was an elite athlete. I played for Central Michigan University. It was a team that year that we were ranked uh, 23rd in the nation. Antonio Brown was on our team who, you know, many people know Antonio Brown. Dan Lefevre, who was being compared to Tim Tebow at the time. So we had a lot of national exposure. And I was like one of those guys that had NFL potential. And I got hurt. I was trying to impress the upperclassmen with how much I could squat. I was a true freshman. I played my freshman year. And I was trying to show everybody why I was the stuff and I was going to be the next best thing because I, be I believe that as my potential. Okay. But I'm squat. I'm going to squat one day and I ended up putting too much weight on my back and I kind of came up weird and I, I knew something was wrong. I basically ended up rupturing a disc in my back and I went like that for months and I had to have this surgery, a double laminectomy where it was highly recommended that I don't even attempt to not only play high contact sports, in this case, football, but my medical diagnosis 
they, after my surgery <laughs> because they wanted to put a rod in my back and I didn't want a rod in my back because I heard bad stories about that. And so I was like, ah, I'm not doing that. They're not, I, I don't know the best doctor in the world yet. So I'm not doing that to my back. I got decent insurance, but I'm not doing that to my back. And so I made the decision to just get a smaller surgery, which was a double laminectomy where they just sh shave off a part of the, the, the disc that is pinching the nerve. And they kind of move a little bit of your ligaments around to make sure you're aligned as much as possible. And so I went with that surgery, even though they said that it wasn't going to completely set me up for success because of my injury. And my medical diagnosis after I left that surgery was that I was not supposed to do any type of physical exertion at all, except for maybe swimming for a limited amount of time, which I, I don't prefer to swim, or I could walk, slow walk, like X amount. And this wasn't like a rehab diagnosis. This was like, this is kind of going to be this way for like three years until your disc fuse. And then you can have less of your disc banging against one another. And you can just, you know, start to do some more things. You can start to jog and exercise and, you know, hike or something, but get special souls or something. And I said, that is not what I feel is my purpose or destiny is to play out this way. So you're talking about how I learned it. This is how I learned it is that everything that I put my, my stake in was being stripped away from me. No one was willing to help me. They, the coaches did not want me to play because they would have been liable. If I would have went on on that field and got hit, I could have easily died. So in order for me to be able to play, I had to sign a liability waiver that says, hey, if I get injured or die on the field, you're not liable, Central Michigan University. Wow. And I begged for that opportunity because I believe so deeply that it was, I, I had so much to prove. I had, I still wanted it so badly. And so I started to say, how do I make it happen? And then I started to go through this routine. I'm like, hey, first of all, I cannot have this injury and feel weak. I can't. If I have this injury and I feel weak, I'm going to step on that field and I'm going to be weak. So I can't be weak. So what's the mu music of, of strength? What do I think of when I think strength? I think of epic music. I'm about ready to break my laptop right now. Yeah, man. So I started to build myself up and then I'm like, what else? And I'm like, every time this injury tries to tell me it's stronger than me and I sneeze and I fall to the ground because my, 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 my muscles and my ligaments are so jacked up that I'm falling straight to the ground. Every time I, I try to do like a back exercise and I cave in or I can't, I'm going to willpower myself with my mind to embody strength. Okay. So. I'm sorry, abs, but we not resting today because the moment my abs rested, I felt the pain in my back because it wasn't strong enough yet. So I would literally walk all day around campus with my abs tight, just like this. Wow. And I'm walking and they're tight and I'm walking and they're tight and I'm walking. And, and when I sit, I have to keep them tight, turn in the car sideways, sit down on the car sideways, right? Swing my legs into the car this way so that I never get my back out of the position that it needs to be healed. I'm doing all this with my mind. Meanwhile, I'm taking all types of painkillers to numb the pain until my body catches up with my mind and my spirit. And I'm starting to use all these tactics to do these things. And I'm reading books about rehabilitation and manifesting and mindset and motivate. And I'm just searching for how do I get what I want? That's how I learned survival. So you were taking a bunch of painkillers. Mm -hmm. What were you taking and how did that affect you? I was taking a lot of stuff, man. You know, it started with like Motrin 800s and then that didn't work. So they gave you Vicodins, Oxycodone, muscle relaxers, a whole plethora. I've tried 10 to 12 different ones. I can't even think of what any of them are called, but they're a bunch of muscle relaxers, tons of forms of painkillers and opioids of that strength. Once you get to the like oxycodone strength, there's another, like you're, you, you can get any pill you want. It's just a matter of like what I feel like I wanted to try at the time. So 
I experimented with everything. I was like, well, let me try this and see how this makes me feel. Let me try that. See how this makes me feel. All the meanwhile, starting to like really develop a, an addiction that I didn't even have any awareness that was an addiction. I was just trying to heal myself. So I'm like, you know, like, how do I, which, which, how do I know which medication is best without trying it? And so I would just ask them for the next thing. If it wasn't oxycodones, it was, I don't know, methadone or something. If it wasn't methadone, it was, I remember one time uh, I went to practice and I was, I had a good practice. I was pushing some people around and I had this back spasm in the middle of inside drill, which was like one of the most intense drills. And a lot of people fake injuries during inside drill. Cause it's just, you run the running back right up the middle and it's like pure mono and mono. I played defensive end. So I was like having to like cram my dude in the inside to plug the hole. Like you can't avoid contact. <laughs> and so my back is messed up and I'm really not supposed to be throwing it like that, but I have to, or they're going to think that I'm weak. And then I'm not going to earn my starting position which I deserve. And I'm not going to get to my ultimate goal. So I can't do this. I got to, I got to endure this drill against, by the way, Eric Fisher, who's was the number one draft pick. It's like, what the heck? Like, give me a smaller opponent, please. And then everybody knows Eric Fisher. A lot of people don't remember Jake Olson, who I, in my humble opinion, was better than Eric Fisher. He just got hurt. So these are who our old linemen were and the inside guys were better. They were NFL guys too. And so it's like, you cannot survive in this drill unless you're tough. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm holding my abs and I push them in and I have the worst back spasm. And of course, people think that I'm faking because they don't know that I'm not supposed to be playing. I right. know. Right. So they think I'm just wimping out on the drill. I had a true back spasm. I couldn't even move. My roommate had to carry me to the hospital. Because my back would not stand straight up. Shout out to my homie, Steve Winston, boy. He was down for me, man. He carried me to the hospital. They gave me um, a steroid pain shot in my back to help me lift straight up so it can start to heal and all my nerves. And when your back is hunched over, it's not just the pain. It's what's happening. Your spine is a huge communicator to the rest of your body. If you don't believe me, take it away. <laughs> yeah, you don't, so, you don't appreciate it until it's taken away, man. Even when yeah. you get sick or anything, you're like, oh, anything, shit. anything. So it started to take away like all of my feelings. And I'm having these intense pains in like my fingertips and my toes, all because of this spinal cord that's just shooting pain signals throughout my body. And my roommate carried me, they gave me this steroid because when you, the spine comes back straight, it can start to communicate correctly. And my body can start to heal itself. So they give me a pain steroid shot in my back. So not a performance enhancer, but like a pain. And that thing, I could stand up and see, I was like, oh, that felt good. So I knew I needed to see a specialist. It was going to be like, let's say two or three weeks before I saw one. So they gave me a month's supply of pain of the steroid in pill form so that I should take one per day in order to make it until I could see a specialist who could get me whatever the next best move would be like surgery again, or rehab of some sort, or I've tried acupuncture, nerve killings, epidural shots in my back. I've done it all. Right. And so that's what they were trying to do. But what I did <laughs> is I took those pills because it gave me that instant fix and I could be me at least for an, for a football game. And I used my other pills that I had, the Vikings, the oxycodones for like, to get me through that I saw a specialist. And I would take those steroid pain pills and I would take one per game. And that's what I would take. The problem is that they were so strong. And when I'm running at an elite athlete level, my adrenaline is high. I'm, I'm constantly depleting myself with water. And the pills are so strong that they thin your blood. So they're fine if you take them, you're just like at home or doing light stuff, but you're not supposed to be taking this stuff playing division one sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so what would happen is it would thin my blood to the point where my nose would bleed every time I made contact on the field. Wow. So then I would end up playing a game with nose plugs in my ear. So I have half the oxygen, half the physicality, but all the spirit. <laughs> yeah, boy, I'm telling you. And that right there, that right there is what helped me to earn a start. Watch this. I wasn't supposed to walk for more than a mile within six months of my surgeries. Wasn't even supposed to try. 
in order to rehab, I was supposed to do swimming for years. I earned a starting position within six months of that back surgery by living like this. The bad is that I was chasing something that I should have let go. And I talk about that in my book. The good is that I learned how to manifest my desires. Dude, that is so incredible. The amount of drive that you had, but it's also so concerning around how that's happening in sports with, you know, addiction to opioids and just in the world in general, right? People taking so many pills to get to that spot or to just feel good. And it's not talked about, man. It's not talked about enough about how much that's happening. Did you, was that a common thing? Like, was that a conversation or is that like something that was, was kind of like, you don't, you don't tell anybody about it. You just kind of power through and has that changed? Like, it's crazy, man. It's crazy that young men have to put that stuff in their bodies and it, it must be happening. It, it, like, it's crazy to me. They don't have to do anything. And that's what I believe. Yeah, I believe that that was what I had to do because that was my only shot to not end up back in the streets in which I was raised. I had pissed away my education. I had good grades because I am smart, but I, I just knew how to do multiple choice. I knew how to cheat. I knew how to memorize stuff and forget what I memorized. So I would do well enough in school to get like a 3.0 GPA which in sports, you only need like a 2.2, I think, or maybe it's higher at other schools, but it's probably even lower. Now I don't know what it is now, but it was easy to obtain to remain eligible to play sports. Right. And so I'm getting 3.0. Everyone, I'm actually getting academic awards <laughs> and I'm bucking the whole system, which is a whole nother story. But now I forgot my train of thought. Sorry, I, got, I was getting ready to go on that rabbit trail about the education system. But what, what, what were we talking about? Just around like, you know, the op opioids and, you know, people getting hooked. Okay. 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 Cause yeah, yeah. dude, I've, I've heard this so many times, Yeah. All like right. how many times this is happening to people, you get injured in sports, right? Yep. And then you get hooked yep. and then you're basically screwed. And then yep. there's no, and then what you're kind of like pushed away because you can't play anymore. And yeah. it's so concerning because Athletes just want to make it to the top, man. They just want to do whatever it takes because they don't have any other, right? We've talked about this before around sports. You become that athlete. You become that identity. And there is no other option for most, right? You're not taught any other option. So you, mm -hmm. most will do whatever it takes. Right. At any cost. Right. And then boom, you're addicted. You're addicted. Mm -hmm. You can't play. Yeah. It, you, you're spot on, man. And so I'm just letting it breathe. Yeah, I remember more so where I was going with the train of thought now. But but yeah, it is a is a is a terrible problem. But I felt like I had to, like I had to take opioids in order to continue to play the sports because that's the only way that's going to lead to the success that I need to get out the hood and then be able to help other people, which is a narrative that a lot of people carry or whatever their reason is. They we don't see a way out, but there is. And athletes are recognizing that now. And there's still a way, especially as new leagues develop, to get the notoriety of, of the athletic talent. And not just, it's not the notoriety. See, it, when you're really an elite athlete, all the notoriety is, is that's not it, yo. We, like, uh, if you don't grow up, like, so I grew up in the streets and, like, we would play street ball. Yeah. Out, out like, around the corner at the neighborhood. And... It was playing basketball for your life. In a lot of cases, it was lose or, and be publicly embarrassed to the point where like your social life is going to cause you mental health issues because you're going to be made fun of at school. Where did you grow up? Let's dive into that. Yeah. So I grew up in Jackson. So Jackson is about an hour and a half west of Detroit, Michigan. Okay. And it's, it's basically, some people would describe it as a smaller Detroit. I wouldn't call it that because it's not at all. Detroit people are like, no, Jackson, like 
we actually beef Jackson people, Detroit people, because it's like, we're not like each other, but that's how other people who are not from where we're from view us. It's like, Jackson is kind of like, you've got some really, you know, wealth in the outskirts of town, but in the inner city is a lot of bad violence that goes. Right. Yeah, it's the same thing. Detroit's just bigger and it happens more often, but you hear about it more in Detroit. But population-wise, it's the same thing in Jackson. Right. And so I grew up like inner, inner city. <laughs> and so like the basketball hoop around the corner with like no net because kids take it down for no reason in the playground next to the, the, the playground that's next to the basketball court has a condom on the slide because crack addicts would have sex there. You know, so that's the, the environment, okay? And, and, and so I'll go over to the park to play basketball and you've got, you know, drunk addicts playing with pistols in their pocket and their pants down. They don't even got, they don't even have hooping gear on, mm. but they think they can hoop. Right. That's a problem. Because they have no hooping gear on, but they think they can hoop. And their credit, street cred is on the line. So if they lose, that shows weakness. And then, you know, they'll get picked on for fights more. So you can't lose. But you wore, like, your pants sagging. And I got my gym shorts on in a high waters. Look, you know, I'm glad this picture. You see this picture? Yeah. This is, this is AAU basketball high school, right? Yeah. See, I got the shorty shorts on, man. And this is yeah. this is when I started to give a little bit and make them longer. Yeah. I like to wear the high boys because you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and so and so so here's the thing. I start beating these guys at basketball. And they started to get angry, try to jump me. One person went home to grab a pistol and was gonna kill me. Wow. And, 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 and so the only way I didn't die was to literally convince them of something that they wanted more than killing me. I, now, look at how my communication gift is growing in real time. I wasn't taught this. I had to learn it or I was going to get shot. So I'm like, okay, what do they want more than to kill me right now? Like, what would make them look better? I'm like, all right, money. Money is a high, something they hold, uh, people from my hood hold in high esteem. And it's like that for a lot of people. <laughs> I said, hey, I'm like, yo, I'm like, look, if you really better than me, because that's, it was like, I, I like to brag. I talk junk. I have a big mouth. I should have just beat him and just walked away. Like I got lucky, but I was like, I thought you was better than me. Let's go. Yeah, you should. I told you not to wear the pants. You should have got some gym shorts. I told you I'm going to you. And they mad because I got the high voice and I don't got the tough guy look. And at the time I wasn't as built as I am now. And I'm, I'm actually losing a lot, but, yeah. but I, I was skinny and, I was looking like that, you know, how skinny and frail and this tall guy. And so they thought they could push me around a little bit, but, <laughs> and so I would convince them to play me for money as the ultimate test of if they were better than me and something about that packed the system because they always took me up on that deal because they wanted to make the money and then take my money and make me look bad. And then after they lost the money, because they held money in such high esteem, like they valued money over real authentic reputation. That was so weird to me. Mm -hmm. But because they held money in so high self-esteem, it's like, since I had the money, I now had more esteem. So I, they, they, so then they weren't trying to kill me. And it was like, it was like, okay, next time we gonna run it back for the money. I'm gonna get your money from you. And so then I had to get more money. Started sell drugs. <laughs> you know, like $100 per basketball game when you're playing all day. Or, and I, and I wasn't always bad money like that, but you need more money to do this type of stuff. And then if you're playing all day, you end up smoking in the parking lot. Or you have to be a part of the culture in order to even play. And that was the only place where I could play. And when I, my dad bought me a Y pass, but nobody like from the hood was playing at the Y. It was a bunch of old heads, you know, that were just shooting. At night, and I and these guys were playing all day at the park. That was way more fun. So I'd rather play where my life is in danger than to go play with where it's not just because of the competition. And 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 in the like, when somebody's angry, you can get them to play their hardest. And so me being an elite athlete, I want the most challenging thing. And so these people are getting pissed. Money's on the line, taking their shirts off finally wearing shorts, strapping up their shoes. They friends, aunties, and uncles is watching. And it's me 
versus them or our team versus their team. And I won every time. <laughs> or you fall. It's so interesting to hear about this, man, because I love knowing about people's childhood and growing up because there's so much there that yeah. you get instilled. And then later on, you can see a lot of the lessons that you've learned and the resilience you've built. That's crazy, man. Like nobody, majority of people don't go through that kind of stuff. Well, because they, like my wife, you know, like had the, the driveway with the basketball hoop in the driveway. And you could just go shoot baskets with yeah. dad. It, no, no, no. My dad wasn't home. I mean, great dad, but wasn't home. And then when he came around, he was militant, not, not abusive, but just like, it's about business and baseline survival. So it's fine. Like it made me who I am and I'm incredibly grateful for it. But the point of me telling that story was to show you how I'm a true elite athlete. And, and when you meet true elite athletes and people who are not just doing it for money, their desire is not money at all or notoriety. Their desire is like, I want to compete against the best, be known for it and compensated for it. I don't want it given to me. I want it. I want to take it. I want to earn the respect that I'm given from the world. I don't want courtesy, sympathy. And so when you start to get injured and you're in the NBA or NFL, or you're in the system, the teams that we know, it doesn't matter which sports system you are in, in the world, they're running a business. And so now you're kind of like, Hey, like if, if we were a horse stable and the horse got injured, you, see, you don't make money. Right. And this is, this is where athletes get so defensive because they help build the system. I'm like, yeah, but these people are running a business. And so, yeah, should they have all this stuff built in? Cause they sit with all this money in their pocket. Should they be more helpful? Yeah. Everybody should be more helpful, but are you helpful? The, <laughs> the person that's requesting help, are you helpful? So anyways, I just threw that out there. It's, it's so um, true. Don't, 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 when you acquire higher standards of other people than you do for yourself, it creates misalignment on the inside because you've now become somebody who puts higher pressure on other people than yourself, which is abusive. Mm. All right. So, so these elite athletes who still get injured, but want to be able to play the best in the world. And the only way for them to do it is inside the system for the NBA team, for the NFL team. So they feel like they have to take opioids or do some type of alteration or pay a bunch of money to have some surgery done so that they can stay in the competition. Okay. Yeah. And what's happening now is they're starting to be way more leagues and, and areas where people are getting together and still competing. And now people are, well, I'll just go overseas and play and figure out how to make money. Like you see how it's not about the money. If you're a real elite athlete, but if you're just trying to make more money, then yeah, you can just take pills and go make more money. But then that's where you need to learn a valuable lesson that, and that's what a lot of athletes are running. Like that's why I believe if I, and I've never talked to them, like, Kevin Durant and them doing their television series. I know there's like uncut and untold stories. Like there's a bunch of them that these athletes are starting to start podcasts and YouTube channels and television shows to create a voice and a platform for athletes. And basically, I think they are trying to communicate to these athletes that there is a, a way to, for you to make way more money, that the top of the athlete chain isn't the only way to do it. And that's why when they act that way and they realize that power, they stop abiding by the laws of the system. And they're like, well, I'm not getting the vaccine shot or I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to like, if you just want to use the current example, let's just talk about it. Like yeah. you get the beauty of talking to me, getting my perspective on the Antonio Brown situation. So I was looking at it and Antonio Brown walked off the field and threw his pads off in the middle of the game. Yeah. All because of what? What do you feel the reason is? Well, it's, I mean, it's hard to say. There's a lot. Mental health definitely is an issue. I, I mean, there's, I can't help but think that. I mean, I have to look and have compassion for people. That's just what I've developed. And well, what is the news saying, Lance? Well, yeah, it's the opposite. Right? <laughs> what would, you know, like, and, oh, this jerk, look at him. He's doing it again. Yeah, disrespectful. And do you, you see this? He thinks he's above people. Yeah. Why don't, why can't he abide by the same process as the rest of people? If Tom Brady, the best quarterback of all time, arguably 
Yeah. With way more rings than you, Antonio Brown, is abiding by the rules. Why aren't you? Right. Like, clearly, even if he felt it was unfavorable, he's still doing it. So can you just do it for the greater good if you're just this good person? And he's like, no. <laughs> I believe because I know him. I know him in ways. Let me say, I, I, I know the college him. I don't know the current him. So, but I don't feel like there's a difference. He, he did behaviors like this in college. I, 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 <laughs> we used to have this, this coach named Coach Lawson. Mm -hmm. uh, five, six, short guy, but built. Mo every, every part of his body was muscle except for his belly because he ate so much. But he's strong. He's a hard-nosed guy. You don't want to mess with Coach Lawson. In fact, there was a term on our team called Lawson workouts and Lawson naps. Lawson naps came after Lawson workouts because it don't matter if you had 20 hours of sleep, his workout was going to deplete everything you had in some and you needed a nap. <laughs> so you would take this nap and wake up like two hours later like, and, like what day is it? <laughs> That's how Lawson workouts used to hurt. We all endured them. We all did it as a team, everybody. Antonio yeah. Brown did not like to put a lot of weight on his back. So sometimes when we had to do like 10 sets of 10, these high weight squats, because we we're just like pounding the legs to the maximum capacity. He's like, I'm not doing that to my back. And he was like, and he didn't do it. That created friction with the team because everyone did it. And we're trying to communicate all these values and these unity. And this does affect our team objective. But for a guy who's just an elite athlete and wants to compete at the highest level, if that is not the way that he thinks his body is going to perform at its best, he's not going to perform that way, yo. Mm. And so I, I knew that about myself. And wait, wait, where are we going? Now? Oh, we're talking about Antonio Brown. I was going to go to me. Let's keep it on Antonio Brown. So I feel as if that's what he's running into. It's the same thing with the Raiders situation and the helmet he didn't want to wear because it messes up his ability to be the best him. And people are blaming it on the injury that happened in whatever year when he got whacked on the incomplete pass and got a concussion and they think that he has a developing CTE, which he might. But I'm saying, having known him in college, seeing him do the same thing, what he did to Lawson, when Lawson was like, you still have to do this workout and he didn't want to do it, he ended up getting in a fight with Lawson and almost one of our assistant coaches because he was not going to do it and they got in his face about it and he started fighting them. And he quit the team the same way he did for Oakland, the same way he did for the Bucks in the middle of the game, he, he literally walked out of the middle of the workout and was just like, peace. And everybody knew it. And we were getting ready to uh, start the season, yo. So he's our best receiver and our best punt returner and our secret weapon. So like, dude, you're letting us down, bro. Just because you don't want to do some squats. Just, right. just do some lighten the weight a little bit, bro. And just do it. And he's like, what no. Do you think what do you think was the issue there? I'm telling you what the issue is. It's that he is an elite athlete. He's like, I want to compete at the best, with the best, against the best, and earn my respect. And the only way for me to do that is to do train my body, my mind, my spirit in the best way I know how. And if what you're telling me to do isn't the best way, I want to do it my way. Right. It's not about the money. It's not about the esteem. It's not about me being better than you. It's about me living out my, like, vendetta as an elite athlete. Right. And so... I feel like if I had a conversation with him, if he's still the same guy that I knew and I hung out with in college, he, that's what his thing would be. It was like, man, they trying to get me to do something that's not gonna be best even for them. Don't they want to win this game? Don't they want me to score X amount of points and receptions and break records? Okay, I'm going to do that. This is how I'm going to do that. Let me do it my way, not your way. You don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. Hmm. So... I think that's the dilemma. And I'm not, I'm not picking sides, yo, because I could take the organization side. I already did. It said they're running a business. And if a yeah. horse is not in commission <laughs> and abiding by the principles that they're abiding by, it affects the business. And then it, things get sticky. They kick you off. They unfulfill the contract. That's why the fight's over the contract. But Antonio Brown has realized that he can make most other ways. That's why he was like, forget, I'm going to go be a rapper. And he dropped a very average album. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I can say that because I used to rap with him. I, like, I have uh, freestyles on my laptop. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I don't have them anymore. I had them. People who know our team knew that we freestyled and stuff. So I would tell him that when he freestyled, I was like, it's, it's pretty average. Because <laughs> you know? okay. I would freestyle and he would say mine was whack. So it's okay. I don't know who's right. It doesn't matter who's right because he still probably made a bunch of money either from the music or the exposure of the music. And then he has other brands and licensing deals and investments and other stuff going on that people may or may not know of. So he's good. He does not need the league. The league actually needs him and they're not willing to admit it, but they do because the guy is the talent we want to see. If you're going to deem people the greatest athletes of all time, the Tom Brady's, the Antonio Brown, the Jerry Rice's, you have to actually put them against the best people. So anybody, I remember when Antonio Brown was out because of the Raiders thing before the Raiders thing, I remember wondering, like, I, I literally thought this. I was like, everyone who they're ranking right now, Antonio Brown is better than all of them. So the number one guy is not really the number one guy. That's what I'm thinking, a true sports fan, right? And people think this stuff because that's why we watch sports. So hope somebody took some value out of understanding an elite athlete's mindset so that we can have a little bit more grace and empathy for when Simone Biles takes a mental health break or Antonio Brown, quote unquote, betrays his team. Because the more empathy we have and the more love we spread, it raises the consciousness of our planet, which opens up the abundance, which maintains the collaboration, which ultimately leads back to whatever it is I desire as a human being. So regardless of if it, I feel like this is relevant or not, how I do anything is how I do everything and it affects everything in my life because we're more connected than we like to realize. No, and I, I appreciate that perspective because you don't hear the perspective from somebody that knows somebody that went through that or, you know, that kind of knows the before. And it's interesting when I want to talk about, um, I really, obviously we are both very passionate about mental health, right? I mean, that's what, we, like, it's very important. It's very, in my opinion, it's the pandemic that we're really in, right? And I'm sure you can agree. And I kind of want to dive into like why you think that this stuff isn't addressed more just as a whole in society, because dude, people are struggling and it's not talked about. And it doesn't matter what you're going through, but there's so much of this happening and it's crazy because it's not talked about. And there's so much money in these opioids and, and these drug companies. It drives me crazy. And I want to, I just want to hear your perspective on like, what are your thoughts right now with the current landscape with mental health? Like just, and what do we, how do we, how do we help people? Like, how do, how do we, how do people help themselves get through this stuff? I have never been more happy, more excited about where we're headed as a mental health industry. The, the reason why is because the pandemic just forced in a way, a lot of people to awaken and every, even the playing field for everybody. And it caused people to start asking the real hard questions. And, and, and so when, when you talk about why is it so hard, why is it such a stigma, that type of thing? I think the reason why is because when we think about the things that cause us mental health challenges, relationship problems, financial problems, even true clinical mental illness, that's the hardest beast. If I'm true, which I'm labeled or diagnosed with clinical depression. I would probably have at least 18 other diagnoses if I would allow them to test me. <laughs> I am pretty sure I have anxiety attacks before. I have actually taken anxiety prescription medication before because whatever, but I haven't gotten lab testing to see if it's really an illness or not. They just hear me talk about my symptoms and assume so. so Diagnose me. So whatever. Where am I going with this? Okay. So, so if I have true mental illness, the way to re remedy that and correct that is usually through natural form of medicine, but you have natural form of medicine, which people 
whether they like to admit it or not, I believe involves the way that you think, how you feel, what you believe. That stuff affects the nervous systems in your body, the skeletal system. It affects all of your physical being, your soul, your spirit. And since, which is within, and if people don't want to go within, they blame it on the relationship, the finances, the illness, the medication, whatever system they're called in. When the reality is that they have to go within first to figure out what they believe, how they desire to feel. And since people are not doing that inner work, they then lash out on other people for their internal problems. But the pandemic made people deal with their stuff. We shut down the highways. The internet was lagging because everybody was on it. And it forced you to be around your family, <laughs> yourself, or yourself. Mm -hmm. And some people, that's why they, the divorce rates went, suicide rates, depression rates, whoa. Not because people were all of suddenly more depressed because of the pandemic. Remember, it's not what's outside of me. It's what's inside of me. It's because what was happening outside of me forced me to face what was inside, which is that I don't really like my husband. <laughs> like, and I don't really know what I want to do with my life. I'm not really as good as I think that I am. I'm actually $100,000 in debt. I really should have not been friends with this person a long time ago, but I'm still doing it. I should have wrote my book by now. I should have started my podcast by now. I really was interested in that, but I didn't do it. And now I don't have the option because they took away my job or because whatever, blah, 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 blah. You get it, man. So yeah. thank you. Thank you, pandemic. I am so sorry. I lost people who I love to it. One of my staff members lost three of her family members, yo. I'm a man of faith. You hear how positive and, and optimistic I am? And I remember praying for a gentleman at our church for his wife, believing that the, the COVID illness was going to get removed from her body, and it killed her. I empathize with that. I hurt too. But I'm saying thank you because overall as a planet, we are waking up. We are going within first. We are settling on what we believe. We are slowing down so that we can speed up. <laughs> like, we are talking about things we never talked about before. Will Smith, in the middle of his documentary, literally took off the mask of trying to perform for his best shape of his life thing and went to showing people more of his actual life. Because our life has forced us to face with our within. And if I was a better speaker, I would have said our life would have faced us to force ourselves because it sounds better. And I You're didn't great. do it and I'm mad because I'm an elite athlete and I took that habit into the speaking <laughs> industry. And I, after every speaking engagement, I ranked myself on a zero to 10 and everybody's like, you did such an amazing job. And I'm like, it was a 7.3. <laughs> it's amazing. It, and I highly recommend everybody check out your TED Talks for sure because it's so powerful. And I want to dive into a little bit into your because I know you've told the story many times, so like people can listen to the TED Talk, but I want to unpack it in a different way than what you have to say all the time, you know, because I know that tell me your stories, it gets annoying after a while. Um, you're, oh, just because I love you, that is all the way of perception. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're right, you're right. I just, I know when I get asked, tell me your story, it's great, but it's like, I want to know, I want to ask you like certain things around it because I think it's, it's powerful because you, I can resonate with losing a brother to suicide, right? My younger brother, he was 18, killed himself. When I heard your story of attempted suicide, it really, you know, not only 
it resonated with me, you being an athlete, but, you know, overcoming that and really how your perspective on life changed from surviving that. And it's not the first time I've heard that people have that. One of my mentors, Kyle Kingsbury, he was a UFC fighter, he's a football player as well. And he went on top of a mountain and tried to kill himself. And he never, it never, never happened through pills or whatever. And then things just switched. And, wow. and I just, it's so interesting to me that certain people survive that to do amazing, great things on this planet. And some, it's not their, you know, it's they're they're in a different place. And for you, it's so interesting that things you, you you've been able to just create this mission that is so powerful. So I want to just kind of dive into like how take us to the moment when you when things changed for you. Like when things were like, holy man, like my life, I'm here, like it's got to change. Like take us right to that moment if you can. Absolutely. I will gladly take you into the story, even though everyone asks me to share my story and I get tired. <laughs> oh, shit. No, I'm just kidding. Would I be like a dick for doing that? No, I, dude, I did feel like that a lot until I recognized that it's the story is the easiest way to make the impact. Everything else is me trying to force an outcome force transformation in people, follow this program, follow these steps. And I, and I have them and I love them. But when people hear a story, they create their own steps. They find their own path. They see themselves in the story. So how dare I be in resistance to sharing my story when it's the very reason I'm trying to share my steps. Thank you for saying that. Cause I needed to hear that for myself. Thank you. And I think that right there is, is powerful. So thank you. That's, mm. it's such a good lesson right there, especially we're on podcasts and we forget sometimes like, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Man, we're trying to, we're trying to help people make the first step and change their life and inspire them. They need to hear it. Right. And even me assuming that you don't want to say it because you've said it a million times. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And the story is the vehicle, but like who you become and sharing the story is the most important thing. I say that to say this, that the shift that I had to make to stop being upset at the fact that I had to share the story, it, it came from a true place of wanting to make an impact, but also wanting to make a lot of money doing it, bro. And I, and I wasn't making a lot of money at all. I was over here giving all this game to people in the streets and wondering why money wasn't raining from the sky. And so it required me to create a book that brought money or a speech that brought money or something like that. Right. And then I was like, okay, so this is how I get at more of it. So now, cause the book did it right. Is what I thought <laughs> the book did it. So I'll just need go share my book, more, more steps, more programs, more books, more, 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 more podcasts and different steps. Cause people are tired of hearing cause it's the steps. It's not me. It's the steps. Mm, right. But then choosing to tell the story, it became about me. So I'll, I'll tell it and I'll tell it shortly. I was born in Jackson, Michigan, where the only way I knew to live and not die on the streets and end up in jail or in prison or dead was to become a rapper or to be a professional athlete because that is all that I saw was possible for someone who looked like me and came from where I came from. I wasn't a good rapper. <laughs> I don't know, man. I bet you are. I've got some <laughs> bars and when people ask me to rap, I always do it just to see if they are really bars or not. <laughs> like, like I still, I got song. I got a song on YouTube called we all need hope. It's a mental health song. Go listen to it. We'll, let, we'll link it in the show notes, whatever. So. But the point is, I don't know how many people would pay me millions of dollars to do that. And I did not have the swag or the fashion to be a rapper, but I sure did have the mindset and the work ethic and the, the makeup to be a professional athlete. And my father was supposed to be a professional athlete, but he got hurt 
My aunt was a qualified Olympian, but she fell victim to drugs. So I literally believe with all of my being that it was my divine responsibility and mandate from God, which is the biggest pressure ever to break the generational curse of injury and addiction and finally claim our prize as the top athletes in the Stinson family. I want people to think about the Stinsons like they do the freaking Gronkowski brothers. And I know Chris Gronkowski and he and I have had this conversation about their family. So he gets it. And that's what I wanted to do. Claim the family territory, you know, what I, who I had to become to chase what I thought that I needed to be successful, which was professional athlete because of my injury, because of the lifestyle that I told you that I had to live in order to become an elite athlete, because I had to sell drugs to make money, to be able to compete against the best and test myself and play AAU basketball all over the world to see if I was the best. So I played against Brandon James when he was number one point guard in the world. Like I played against dream, like I played against these elite athletes, but I had to pay to play against them from drug money and my dad being a really good steward of his money and my mom and my grandma doing everything that they could in their power to give me a shot because I was good. And I am in the rabbit trail of my emotions, but that injury, and no matter how bad I wanted, that injury didn't allow me to succeed through the vehicle of sports. And I thought that since sports was over, that meant my life was over. I thought that I believed in all the bull crap that they tell us to do to achieve anything that you want. If you work harder than anybody, if you have the mindset to achieve, you surround yourself by the right people. And I was doing all that stuff. I had great coaches. I had friends who were going to the NFL. I had like everything, mindset, work ethic. I was winning all of our workouts. I started, I was playing on the top 25 ranked in the nation team, but this injury took that away from me. And so the principles that's supposed to make life work didn't work for my life. So I thought my life did not matter. That's when I got suicidal. Because the pain of feeling like, oh, well, why don't you just get up and try and put the mindset? I'm like, I already did it and I ended here. So that is not how life works. And that is not what I'm going to put myself through again. So I might as well end the pain that I'm in of being in stagnation and take pills and end my life and wake up in a better freaking place or try this again or whatever I freaking believed at the time. And I'm so grateful that like the friend you mentioned, the time where I swallowed a whole bottle of pills, not only did I not wake up and die, I didn't even wake up high. And I'm not suggesting people test fate like that. Because I know people who have, and they didn't survive. But for whatever freaking reason, luck, chance, God, that's my story. By the way, that's why people want to hear your story because it's the most real. And so I imploded. I tried to take pills. I tried to drink alcohol and get in the car, hoping that I would just drunkenly crash my car at somebody else. And all of those suicide attempts is what ultimately by the grace of God, led me to a psychiatric unit. And in this psychiatric unit, it's where I found my faith. In this psychiatric unit, it's where I realized that there was hope and there was another way. I didn't know what that way was going to be for me to be myself, a person who desires to be at the top because that's who I am. That's why I wore the shorts. That's why I'm all about great muscle. I desire to be at the top. There's nothing wrong with that desire. And there's also nothing wrong with not having that desire. But you have to know what your desire is because of what you want, not because of what will make you more money or make you appear more successful. I didn't want it for the money or the success or family. I wanted it because it's who I am. I'm a fighter. I was born in a hundred billion years ago, I probably would have been like a centurion Roman soldiers. <laughs> First black one. <laughs> There's another way. And to find out another way, I had to go with it. Do I remember the first time I felt, felt alive before the childhood trauma, before the hoods made me get into survival mode? Now I remember 
I was writing and I was envisioning myself speaking in front of large audience. And then I came out of that world in my mind and I opened my eyes and opened my mouth and the black kids and my students heard my high pitched voice and my perfect English. And they said, you're a white boy. And then they threatened to jump me. And so I gave that up. But when I chased what I thought I had to, to impress who I thought I'd need to, and because it was the only thing that I knew, and I was sitting there in the psychiatric unit, ashamed and embarrassed because I shouldn't be here, not realizing it was the greatest gift in my world because I found my faith, my conviction in myself, connected to that place. And I said, it's speaking, it's writing, it's helping people share their stories. But the problem is that I should have started when I was six and I was 23. But if it's my divine purpose, I can always make it profitable. So I just started researching, man, developing, failing, sucking really, 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 really bad at public speaking, embarrassing myself, learning a lot, wasting, investing a lot of money into programs and coaches and mentors. And just like you, you know, I find, found my sweet spot. And here I am, authoring books, helping people, laying TEDx talks and being a speaker and impacting a lot of people, saving a lot of lives as so they would say it. But I didn't save it. I just created the awareness, helped them to, I just turned their awareness on so they can save themselves. And my life isn't perfect. I literally, this is like my first podcast in six weeks because I didn't work for six weeks and I chose to go lose money for six weeks. <laughs> my business is good, but it isn't there to where I can just take six weeks off and make more money yet. It'll get there. So I made that decision because I still have my own mental health challenges and battles and everything. Man. And so it's all good. I'm, I'm just telling you that like life is sweet and good and beautiful and wonderful because I went with him first. And so, hey, University of Adversity, look within. And yeah, you got a guide and a mentor in Lance. You've got somebody who's going within. And the reason that you're able, Lance, to connect with the amazing guests that have come on this podcast is because you went within. And you still know that's always where the answer is. And that's why your future has no ceiling. And that's why you have the material things and the freedom and the flexibility and the happiness that you have in your life is because you're taking the gifts you have and the awareness you have, and you're passing that to others through this podcast. You are a distribution point, a, a, a river of resource. And that's what keeps the flow of life going. So there's people who can choose to listen to this podcast and go, that was good for me. I'm going to keep it all and be a dead sea. Or there's people that's going to say, I'm going to live like them because I am like them because I am me and deserve to access all the finances, the relational, all the things that I want for who I am authentically. And now I take what I learned and I go implement it and be myself and go within first and don't blame other people and follow my passion, my dream and invest. I go through my university of adversity and I come out my hero's journey transformed and changed. And I realized that I only came out to go back in. Thank you, brother. Because in is the game. Woo! Okay. The only way out is through. <laughs> Gotta go inward, man. I appreciate that. Received. I really, really appreciate it, man. And you know, I think we're well, I know we're on similar missions. And, you know, I look forward to working with you because I know that I have been called to, you know, get onto those stages and, you know. I just love what you're able to do and how you're able to help people. And what you're doing is so powerful because being able to 
help somebody channel that and be able to speak it into the world so that people feel that and take that like that is power and your ability to do that is amazing so thank you you're an amazing speaker you're you know one of the most inspirational dudes one of the most charismatic dudes i've met and i'm grateful that we got to meet at mike zeller's mastermind that was awesome and man i'm looking forward to many more amazing conversations and i where can everybody where can everybody check you out and learn more about you if they want to they want to possibly work with you or other resources that you got going on where can they find you yeah for sure just hit me up at stinson speaks on any of the social platforms and just you know engage shoot me a dm whatever like let's connect amazing dude thank you you're welcome thanks everybody Thanks, everybody. If you aren't subscribed to this YouTube channel yet, make sure you hit the subscribe button and the bell to follow. Leave us a comment if you got value. If you are listening to this on one of the audio platforms, such as Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening, hit that follow button or the subscribe button. That way you stay on top of all the episodes. And I get asked all the time, how can we support the show? The best way to support the show, leave us a review on Apple. Tag us on social media. That's the best way. Or if you guys want, you can support my work and you can go to my Instagram at lance.esios and you can purchase the $47 course, Warrior Embodiment. It's really how to embody the true warrior spirit in all areas of your life. This is a lot to do with the book that I'm writing, Mastering Adversity, which is a, the warrior archetype is what we really focus on. So. If you want to start the new year by embodying the true warrior spirit in all aspects of your life, go grab that course. At the very least, I just hope you guys enjoyed this. I love giving you this. I love bringing amazing people to your listening, to your viewing, however you digest this. And I appreciate all of you. Can't do it without you. Much love. We'll catch you next time.